privilege to be able to be here and to talk about with you here this, this afternoon the necessity of Scripture. In fact, you could say it just this way and we could be done. Scripture is needed because we cannot save ourselves. Scripture is needed because we cannot save ourselves. But how do we even know what salvation is and why we would need it? Well, the Bible explains these things to us. It tells us about our Creator who made us. It tells us about humanity's fall and how sin now permeates the human race, condemning everyone to hell to eternity without God. It tells us about how God in His kindness and mercy sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead in defeat of sin and death and hell. This is the wonderful story of the gospel. But let's go back a step. Why do we even have the Bible? Because God has been kind to reveal himself. And he has done this in two ways. He has done this in what we would call universal or general revelation, and he's done it through special revelation. Now, Josh mentioned these both in his talk here with us earlier this morning. But I'd like to look at those two avenues of revelation that God has given to us and then zero in on the second of those and think with us, together with you, in regard to special revelation and the need for Scripture. But beginning, I just want to give some quick definitions here to start with, with regard to universal or general revelation and special revelation. So, universal revelation is, or sometimes called natural revelation, God's communication of himself to all persons, at all times, and in all places. It is general in two senses. It's general in that it is universally available, that is accessible to all people at all times, and the content of its message is general. It, it, is, it gives less detail about God than special revelation. So it's general in, its, in, in what it shows and what it tells us about God. But then we also have special revelation, which we would also call uh, supernatural or maybe particular revelation. This is, speaks of God's particular communications and manifestations of himself to particular persons at particular times, and these communications are available to us now, today, only, only in the sacred scriptures. So we have these two kinds of revelation, and we're going to zero in a little bit later here and the most, on the most important of those two because it relates to the scriptures and that is special revelation. But I like to take the time then to look at those two avenues of revelation and begin with general revelation because general revelation is the foundation for the special revelation of God's word. And we know that in, in, our, in the, word, the way that God has made the world, he has manifested himself through general revelation in three ways. The first way We've already heard mention of earlier today, and that is in nature, in the things that God has made. We read in, in Psalm 19, for example, the heavens declare the glories of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and in night shows knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Notice it's accessible to everybody. God's uh, message to humanity in creation is there available for all, for all to see. 
We also see God's general revelation in history. This is seen in his providential preservation, first of all, of the nation of Israel through time. It is seen in his determination of the course of Gentile nations. And it's seen in the ordering of the events surrounding the crucifixion of Christ. Think about those three areas. First of all, the way that God has preserved and protected the nation of Israel throughout time. It's an amazing number of stories we could talk about and and even look out throughout, throughout the scriptures as to how God has preserved his people. But then we also read... Uh, in the book of Acts, in seven, Acts 17, 26, about God's determination and, and, and demonstration of himself in, in uh, the history of the nations. So, for example, in Acts 17, 26, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Every nation in the world. Even those ruled by dictators, those ruled by despots are there because God has allowed them and permitted them and they can only go so far. God is in control of all the nations and he has demonstrated himself in history in this way. So God's providence is particularly seen in history and is certainly a subset of general revelation. For this reason, his work viewed in history cannot provide saving grace and can only be properly understood with the help of special revelation, which we'll look at in a moment. There's a third avenue of general revelation that we know of from Scripture, and that is the nature and constitution of man, particularly in in two ways. First of all, in his dependence on a higher being. In all cultures, humans have believed in the existence of a higher reality than themselves. As Pascal says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. So there's this dependence on a higher being. Also, there is the existence of our consciences. Everyone has a sense of right and wrong, of just or unjust, of what is true and not true. A text like Romans 2 reminds us of this, Romans 2, 14 and 15, where we read, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ, Jesus. So we see God's general revelation in nature, in history, and in the nature and constitution of us human beings. That's where we start then with thinking about how God has generally revealed himself in these ways. And what is it that comes out then in these ways that he has revealed himself in in general revelation? Well, there's a few things that Scriptures tell us are, avail- are, are, are apparent to everybody because of how God has made this world. We, we learn by looking at nature, for example, that the Creator is the source of all that has life. That God, according to Romans 1, is invisible and powerful. In fact, reading in, in Romans 1, verse 20, for His invisible attributes, 
namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So God has revealed his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. They're there for everybody to see. Now, is there enough in his eternal power and divine nature that is revealed in history and in nature and in our conscience? Is there enough there to save anybody? No, there isn't. That's going to, again, we're, we're getting uh, to special revelation here in a moment. So these are the things that are revealed in natural or general revelation. But, as I've just mentioned, these are inadequate. These things that are revealed about God in his world that he has made cannot lead to a clear perception of who God is. And the reason they cannot is because of our sin. As we read in Romans 1.21, although they knew God, how did they know him? They knew him by seeing him in, in the world that he has made. They know him because they have a perception of right and wrong. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We read in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those uh, in in the world so that they cannot seek after and do not seek after God. Sin has undoubtedly affected humanity's ability to perceive the gospel. It has also affected ability to see the light of God in his creation and in history and in his own uh, uh, constitution, in his own conscience. So universal revelation cannot lead to a clear perception of God, nor can it lead to an understanding and an acceptance of the gospel. And we're going to be looking more specifically at Romans 10 a little bit later, but I I'm going to just remind you what Paul tells us there in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by looking at creation. Is that what it says? No, hearing by the word of God. See, so the content of, I mean, the inadequacy of universal revelation is clear. We need the word. We need more. Now, the implications of this, of of the universal revelation are, first of all, that everybody then has a knowledge of God. There's enough here to give a knowledge of God. This is why the pagan who lives in a part of the world that has never had the the word of God translated into his or her language, and they have never heard the name of Jesus. This is always a question that people have. How is it that that person could be condemned to hell? Because there is enough to condemn them in the world that God has made. And they can look up at the, at, in the evening and see the stars. They can look up during the day and see the sun that God has made, see the beautiful world that he has made. They, can have, the, they, they have the awareness, of a, they have a conscience, they, they have a perception of right and wrong. might be marred, but it is there. And they have the work that God has done in history. They have all of that, and this is enough to condemn them. They have a knowledge of God. There is somebody who has made all of this and who has created us in this way. But God is just then in condemning those who have never heard the gospel. This, by the way, as we see in Romans 10, is the motivation for missions. And I'll say more on that in a moment. But why do we need to send people 
to tell those who never heard about Jesus because they cannot be saved until they hear about who Jesus is. General Revelation then serves to explain the worldwide phenomenon of religion and religions. Why are there all different types of religions in the world? Gets back to that God-shaped vacuum that Pascal talked about, that every person has by creation. So God's universal revelation isn't good enough. He has revealed himself in that way. But thanks be to God, he has revealed himself in more ways, in more specific ways. We call this his special revelation. And God's special revelation then is his manifestation of himself to particular persons at definite times and places, enabling those people to enter into a redemptive relationship with him. And it's amazing to think of the ways that God has um, revealed himself especially or in a special manner. Four items I'd like to talk about here with regard to the nature of his revelation to us. All of this is laying the foundation here for looking at the necessity of Scripture in all of this. First thing that we see about the fact that God has revealed himself is that he has done so personally. We have a personal God who presents himself to people. God is personal. Secondly, we see that his revelation to us is human. That is, God reveals himself in human language and human categories of thought and action. You see, God is transcendent, and he must condescend to man, revealing himself to us. And he does so in language that we can understand. You know, he could have given us a code book that had special mysteries involved. You know, um, was that Brett or Brett that talked about the, uh, the conference going on down in Plymouth? Yeah, they have special code books that they need to try to figure out all of these weird incantations and things. God could have chosen to reveal himself that way, but he didn't. He chose to reveal himself clearly to us in language we can understand. Thirdly, we see that God's the nature of his revelation is analogical. He draws upon those elements in man's universe of knowledge that can serve as a likeness of or partially convey the truth in the divine realm. God knows which elements of human knowledge and experience are sufficiently similar to the divine truth that they can be used to help construct a meaningful analogy. So God uses, again, concepts that we can understand. And and we see analogy throughout the scriptures and, and God comparing himself to those analog- in those analogies to our understanding. As a father cares for his children, so God cares for us. Just a, a simple uh, analogy, but there are many of those kinds of analogies that we have in the Scripture. The fourth nature of special revelation is that it is propositional. God reveals himself in real, objective, rational truths, rational truths communicated from God to man. This means then that special revelation is more than just a personal or an individual revelation. In other words, the revelation of God himself to people in some type of mystical or subjective experience is not what we're talking about here. 
We're talking about God who, re, who does indeed relate to us personally, but he reveals himself propositionally by telling us facts and truth statements about himself. So his revelation to us is not just individual. It doesn't just come to one of you, one of us, and reveal himself to just one of us, and it's very subjective. It come, you ever had someone tell you about an experience that they've had, and oh, that was a nice experience that they had, but I didn't have it. You know, when I talk to a Packer fan after, they've, after we've watched a football game and they're playing the Vikings, I do not have the same experience that that person has. Um, so, so it's a very, I, didn't, I didn't catch that, sorry. It's a very subjective experience, right? But God, God is not revealing himself to us just in a personal, subjective way. It's not mystical. Rather, revelation includes propositional truth. It can be preserved. This means that God's revelation can be written down. It can be inscripturated. If it were only personal, then it would not be possible to preserve it because, again, subjective awareness of truth can't be recorded. But God has chosen to reveal himself objectively in truths that are broader than personal or individual relations, revelations. Think, for example, of what uh, Paul tells us there in 1 Corinthians 15 about the, res- about the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus was not just uh, to one person, that God revealed himself to one person. Look at all of the people that are listed there. The point being that God's resurrection, Christ's resurrection from the dead, wasn't just uh, to be revealed to one person, but to all kinds of people, all kinds of witnesses. 500 brethren at one time most of whom are still alive, Paul said at the time that he wrote. So there's a, a propositional nature to the revelation that God gives to us. Well, that brings me to, wanna, to, to to speak to the ways that God has revealed himself in a special way throughout world history. Now I said earlier that in general revelation, God revealed himself in history, in nature, and in our constitutions uh, basically in conscience. But God reveals himself in a special way, five different ways in the scriptures that we see. The first way is historical, again, history, but in this case, it's interpreted history. God has made himself known through his mighty acts in history that he does recognize for us. I'm thinking here particularly of the Exodus. Now, I realize as Aaron reminded us that there are some liberals that deny the Exodus and deny uh, all kinds of, of the truths of Scripture, but God has indeed spoken to us in the historical event of the Exodus, which, by the way, is the most significant historical event in the Old Testament. That is, is so many of the truths and the promises of God are based on the Exodus in, in, uh, in the history of Israel. Very important, uh, f- uh, very important event in the history of the old in, in the Old Testament and in the history of Israel. But in Exodus seven four and five, we read this: God speaking to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. See, God is saying, I'm going to speak through the Exodus. And when I take my people out, 
I am speaking. I am giving you revelation about myself that I am going to do what I say. In fact, even before Moses gets to uh, Egypt, he tells Moses exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to send these plagues and, and these, all these things are going to happen and Pharaoh's going, he's not going to listen. I mean, he, he tells him exactly what he's going to do. He interprets the event of the Exodus to make it very clear especially to the people of Israel, but it made it very clear to Pharaoh and all of, all of the Egyptians of what the Exodus was about, who was in charge, God's in charge, and he was revealing himself through that specific historical event. God also taught us and, and, and teaches us through the flood. We can go back to Genesis 9 when, when God talks to, to Noah after the flood is over and he says, I'm putting my rainbow in the sky to tell you that I am making this promise to humanity. I'm never going to do this to humanity again. This is my promise. I am speaking. He's interpreting the event of the flood itself. So in in these and many other historical events that we have recorded for us in Scripture, these events, God is is speaking to us in them. In these historical events, the acts of God themselves are not sufficient to communicate God's message or His intent. Rather, to understand his purpose behind the event that he brings about, it is necessary that he provides an interpretation of that event. We might call this word revelation, which he does then in his word. So God does give interpreted history. That's one of the ways that he reveals himself, especially. A second way that God Uh, shows himself in special revelation is through divine appearances of himself. We call these theophanies, a physical manifestation of God. And you can think of a number of theophanies throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Perhaps one that might come to mind is the fourth person that's walking around in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember when um, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire, he sees four guys. He said, I thought I only threw three in there. Well, no, there's a fourth. That's a theophany. There's many others that we have in the Old Testament. The time when Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord, I believe that's probably a theophany, as well as a number of other situations where God appeared as, uh, in, in physical form to, uh, uh, to one of his children. Think of Joshua the night before Jericho has a theophany come and visit him. And, and there are many others that we could mention. So God does appear as a, in, in, in human form to uh, individuals. A third way that God shows himself is through divine communication. He does this through his prophets. It's very common for the prophetic writers to say what? The word of the Lord came to me saying. And then the prophet just tells us what the word of the Lord is. Clearly, God communicated through the prophets. In fact, we read of this in Second Peter chapter 1 where um, God tells us through Peter, uh, how he appears through the prophets or to the prophets, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the prophets were communicated directly from God to them, and then they gave the word out. God also communicated through dreams and visions. And we have a number of those, of course, throughout the Old Testament. I think particularly of Daniel and Ezekiel getting many dreams and visions that they share with us. And then there's a 
third way that God does his divine communication in the Old Testament, not only through prophets, not only through these dreams and visions, but through the Urim and the Thummim. They're sacred lots. Maybe you've seen those words a few times in the Old Testament. We see them in regard to the vestments that the priests are wearing. And in Exodus 28.30, for example, we have this statement made in regard to what Aaron is going to be wearing. In the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. In fact, when you see that phrase, David inquired of the Lord, you know when David's running away from Saul and he has the priest with him, and it says, David inquired of the Lord. He's inquiring of the Lord through the Urim and the Thummim that the priest is carrying with him. Okay? It's one of the ways that God communicated his will to uh, David in that case, uh, to know uh, which rock he should be hiding behind, as you remember there, as Saul is chasing after David there. So God communicated uh, in these ways to, to his people. Then the for, a fourth way that God has communicated specially is, of course, through Jesus, through the incarnate word. Jesus' life and speech were indeed a special revelation from God. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of this in the very beginning of his letter, to us, and he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. I've already mentioned to you a few of those many times and many ways, right? The Urim and the Thummim, the visions, and so on. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus is indeed the living language that God uses to speak to his people. Jesus both spoke the Father's words and he demonstrated the Father's attributes. He was the most complete revelation of God because he was God. Think in John's prologue of his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God. The only God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That's Jesus. Jesus has declared the Father. In John 14 as well, we read this of Jesus. John 14 and verse 9. John 14, 9. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? I can imagine being just like Philip and saying, let, let me see the Father. I, I, can, I can feel very much what Philip's feeling there. And Jesus says, come on. I've been here with you this whole time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the manifestation of God to us. He is God's revelation to us. He was the most complete revelation of God because he is God. So God has spoken in a special way through interpreted historical events, through theophanies, through divine communication, whether through dreams or prophets or these Urim and Thummim, and through Jesus. Now, are any of those available to us today? No, they're not. Now, they're available to us as recorded in God's word. But there is a fifth 
there is a fifth usage of special revelation that God gives to us, and that is the Bible, the written word that we get to hold in our hands or in your device or wherever you have God's word. You have his divine word that he has given to us. For example, in Exodus 31, 18, we read this. Exodus 31, 18. He gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. So there we have God's word preserved, and, and we have it right here. That was about 3,500 years ago, and we have it right here in our Bibles. Also, Exodus 17, 14 we have, so that was God's hand that wrote the Ten Commandments. But we have this statement in Exodus 17, 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So here God directs Moses, write this down, which of course he did in the first five books of our Bibles, the Pentateuch where God wrote it down, where he had his human agent, in this case Moses, write it down. The next generation of prophet, Joshua, heard the same message from God in Joshua 24, 26. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So Joshua wrote down what God told him to write. We have it here in the book of Joshua. Joshua may very well have been responsible for some of the other uh, books that we have there in the Old Testament as well. So, God has written these words down and had his people do it. And we've already heard a number of times from 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out, is inspired by God. All the scriptures that we have, both Old and New Testaments, have been breathed out by God and they are his written word to us. So we don't have access to those first four elements of special revelation today, but we do have this one. And you have with you then God's special revelation. And the question then that I think would be good for us to answer then, and which is my, really my task here in this, uh, in this part of the, uh, of the uh, day, and that is to talk about we have this bit of special revelation Why is it necessary? What is it for? Why do we need this? Well, we need what is in this special revelation because, and this has already been referred to here earlier today, man has lost the relationship of favor which he had with God prior to the fall. We are, he was morally limited in his ability to know and love God Because, as a result of the fall, he was sinful. Here is our need. All of human nature, including the mind, has been adversely affected by the fall, so that man is unable to recognize and respond to divine truth. This is why we need God's word, why we need his special revelation, because our minds have been corrupted by sin. Our bodies have been corrupted by sin. We are sinners. Let me give you several texts 
A couple of these have already been referred to earlier today, but these really reveal to us our need for this word. Matthew 13 and verse 13 says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Moving down to verse 15, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. They were incapable of hearing God's word. Brett spent a good deal of time talking about this problem with humanity uh, in regard to the perspicuity of Scripture. We also read in Romans 1, verse, I've, I've read this verse earlier, but it's so true and so important for us to grasp that we have become futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts are darkened. We, I mentioned earlier 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, about Satan blinding the minds of, uh, of all of humanity and in 1 Corinthians 2.14, which we've had referenced several times here today, and that is that the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him, and he cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. So without special revelation, there is no way that we could know the gospel. There's no way that we could grow in Christ, and there's no way that we would know God's will. These are indeed the three great needs that Scripture meets. And these purposes of special revelation then could not be accomplished by means of general revelation alone. It is only special revelation that gives these to us. And so here we, I, I want to talk as we complete our, our day here together about these three needs that the, gospel, that, that the Word of God meets. Okay, there are three needs here that God's Word meets for us and, they meet, and it meets them head on. Number one need is the knowledge of the gospel. The knowledge of the gospel. Romans chapter 10. I mentioned it earlier. Take a little bit more time here. In Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So not everybody believed God's word. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We cannot grasp God's special revelation. We cannot understand God's special revelation unless we hear the Word. So the Word of God is absolutely essential in our knowledge of the Gospel. As Jesus reminds us, only, well, John fourteen six. what does he tell us? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4.12 we read, no Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. And this truth that Jesus is the only way is found only for us here in the Word of God. And if we don't have that truth, we do not have the gospel. We, do not have, we cannot understand the revelation that God has given to us. 
So what is the need for Scripture? This is what must be preached if someone is going to come to understand the gospel. We need the word because we need the gospel. Now, you might ask, how could Old Testament saints be saved prior to Christ's coming if Jesus says, I am the only way? Well, those who were saved under the Old Covenant were also saved through trusting in Christ. Wayne Grudem is, uh, I'm quoting from him here. Even though their faith was a forward-looking faith based on God's word of promise that a Messiah or a Redeemer would come, they looked forward to Christ not with exact knowledge of the historical details of his life, but with great faith in the absolute reliability of God's word. I think of those statements that are made in Hebrews 11 about the the, several of the Bible, of of the Old Testament characters that are mentioned there with regards to their faith and what they were trusting in. And uh, I think they're helpful, these statements here in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. In verse 26 of Hebrews 11, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This here is speaking of Moses. He's looking ahead to the reward. And that's what Old Testament saints did as they looked ahead to Christ. Looked ahead to Christ. So, we need the Scripture because without it, we cannot know the Gospel. A second need that we have that Scripture fulfills, another purpose that it accomplishes, is to maintain our spiritual life. And what text am I going to go to here? I'm going to go to Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 4. Our spiritual life is maintained by daily nourishment with the Word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Or Deuteronomy 32, 47, as as, uh, Moses is speaking to the Israelites just before his death, he says this about the Word. It is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. This word, Moses says, is your life. You need this word. You must find nourishment herein. As Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn infants desire the sincere or the true or the pure milk of the word that you can grow by it. We need the word. We could go to many, many texts in Psalm 119, but I'm going to just mention one. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need this word because we cannot grow without it. A third reason that we need Scripture is it gives us a certain knowledge of God's will. It gives us the ability to know God's will perfectly. Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a very... Interesting verse in this regard. Moses writes, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. In Psalm 119, verse 1, we read that to be blameless is to walk in the law of the Lord. 
in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. We read, blessed is the man who walks, uh, actually I'm uh, mixing it up, so I'm going to read it. That's much, always much safer for me than try to rely on my memory. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The blessed man here is the one who meditates and delights in the law of the Lord. So we have God's absolute truth when it comes to making decisions. Now, Again, there's not going to be decisions here about what diet you should be on or what foods you should eat necessarily. There's not a lot here about what what sports team you should cheer for or anything like that. But let's say you have a question. Well, I'm, I'm dating an unsaved person. Is it God's will for me to marry that person? I've given you I can give you a 100% answer from God's word. No. No, you don't answer, you don't marry that person. Because God has said, if you're saved, you don't marry a lost person. What is God's will regarding baptism after I trust in Christ? Is, that, is there an option there? Do I know what God's will is? Has he made it clear? Well, he's made it very clear. You better be baptized. What is God's will regarding the Lord's Supper for the believer? Is this something that we should be doing? Hmm, I wonder if the scripture has said anything about the Lord's Supper. No, it's crystal clear. We know what God's will is. Is it God's will for me to be uh, part of a local church, to be associated with fellow believers in a local church? I have a 100% answer. I know 100% what God's will is on that. Absolutely. You need to be part of a local church. See, God's will is very clear on so many things in our lives. Certainly are these spiritual issues that are very, very important for us. So... We need God's word. We need it for the knowledge of the gospel. We need it to maintain our spiritual lives, and we need it to know God's will. So, as we finish up here, and I thank you for your attention here at this uh, tough time of the day. (laughs) The only avenue of special revelation that is directly available to us today is not visions and dreams, It is not going to be seeing a theophany of God. It is the written word. It is the written word, which we need for gospel and spiritual growth and God's will. Access to this special revelation does not guarantee personal belief in God. God's spirit must work in a person's heart in order for the special revelation to be properly assessed and to be received. And thirdly, Absence of special revelation will always result in condemnation. It will always result in condemnation. It is impossible for anyone to come to faith without special revelation. This, my friends, is the motivation for missions. This is the motivation for Bible translating. People cannot come to Christ unless they hear the word. So, May that be our motivation. That is the best motivation for missions because people are going to go to hell unless they hear the name of Christ, unless they hear it from the human us, the human beings that God has ordained for that task. For people must either hear or read God's word 
as the only avenue of special revelation that they have before they can believe. Do we need God's word? Absolutely. And I I trust that as we've thought about these ideas of special and general revelation, we will thank the Lord. We'll thank the Lord for this wonderful book that does give us all that we need to know him. Can we, would you pray with me then? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for opening our eyes to understand it so that we can grasp the truth of the gospel, that we can grow by reading and meditating upon it, and that we can know your will and how to obey what you have asked us to do. Help us to be people of the book so that we might demonstrate to this world this truth. And this world cannot know what your truth is unless they hear it, because herein comes by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.